let's go ahead and get started since uh, I had the pleasant experience of running out of time last time. Um, I have less material this time to try and make up for that, which is great. Um, but before, uh, before I start here, um, pray for us. I wanted to um, advertise a few resources, I guess. Uh, uh, yes, yes. I'm not paid for these either, so uh, you, you can trust them. Um, so a few folks that have been really helpful for me uh, on topics of anxiety and depression. Um, I would say anything by this guy, Zach Eswine. Um, he has a book here called Spurgeon Sorrows. Uh, it's about some of the uh, melancholy and different things that Charles Spurgeon dealt with. Um, um, fascinating, but also like kind of makes you feel like you're not alone. Like guys who are heroes of the faith also dealt with this stuff. Um, imperfect pastor, <clears throat> even though it's geared toward pastors, I think you could actually call it the imperfect human and read it through the eyes of just normal everyday person, not a pastor. Uh, he deals with um, some of our struggles to uh, to try and be everywhere and fix everything and know everything, um, and he kind of debunks uh, uh, that that unrealistic goal. So, Zach Eswine, imperfect pastor. And then this one is called Recovering Eden. Um, it's actually his commentary on Ecclesiastes, but with the way that he writes. It reads like uh, more of like a uh, uh, Christian living book. Um, he's an incredible writer. Um, it, it's been a huge help for my soul just because he talks about uh, what 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 should life be like under the sun post Eden. Uh, what is what is life in a broken world like? Um, super helpful. Um, uh, another influential guy for me has been Paul Miller. Some of you guys, if you're from here, may even know him. Um, he's from around here. His parents have been here. Uh, they started um, New Life uh, churches, Presbyterian churches. Um, but uh, a praying life. He deals with um, a lot of things that have been helpful for me with, um, um, I don't know, some of the disappointments in life and depression that comes from it. Uh, it can it can tend to lead towards cynicism. Um, he addresses things like that. How do we bring our cynicism to the Lord and, and have Him uh, redeem us in those ways? Can't recommend that highly enough. I've read it multiple times. Um, and then music uh, by a guy named Andrew Peterson. Um, regardless of musical taste, uh, I think you you would acknowledge that it's artistically well done. Uh, but I think even more, he is really good at honest lament, right? Not just complaining, but like bringing lament to the Lord uh, with a hopeful eye, an eye toward um, new creation and the promises that are ours in Christ. Um, so if you, if you want somebody who's not only going to just sit in the darkness with you, uh, but is also going to be pointing you somewhere better, um, giving you hope, um, Andrew Peterson uh, would be a good candidate for that. Specifically, the uh, the Burning Edge of Dawn album uh, has been helpful for me. So, uh, just some resources for you guys to uh, to think about. 
as we're uh, going through some of this stuff. Um, so let me let me pray, and and then um, we'll get started. Our Father, um, I'm thankful that we can cry to you out of the depths. Um, and that uh, your ears are attentive to us, that you hear our pleas uh, for mercy. We pray that um, you'd help us to locate you today, even this morning, uh, regardless of the, the state that, that we find ourselves in. Um, I pray that if we are having feelings of gladness or uh, feeling... Um, low, uh, anxious, panicky, um, if we are socially on edge, um, I pray that, that uh, you would just meet us where we're at, remind us of the love that you have for us, um, remind us that we don't have to, uh, in the moment, immediately change everything about ourselves in order for you to accept us. Um, we depend on you to do any kind of good work in us, and we know that um, the works you have begun in us, you promise to bring to completion uh, at the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray that you'd be doing that even this morning. Um, ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, all right, so um, I want to start by considering just a few things from um, Genesis this morning. So if you do have a Bible and you want to turn there, you can. Uh, if you don't, you are not going to miss out because I'm going to talk through the things that uh, we're looking at. Um, but we're going to uh, be in Genesis 2 for a brief moment and Genesis 3 as well. Um, but uh, what we have in Genesis 2, if you're familiar with it, it it's sort of this... Um, second uh, close-up uh, creation account, account of, of creation and the creation of human beings. Um, and there's some things that I want us to see about how we were created before we jump right into talking about um, how we can help ourselves physically in uh, fighting against depression and anxiety. Um, and so the, the first thing that I want us to see um, is just very simply this. It's, it's nothing profound here today. But our bodies are important to God. Um, in verse 7, if you look at it, um, you see that God created Adam's body from the dust of the ground. Um, so he creates his body first, and then it says he breathes the breath of life into Adam. And I want us to consider for just a second that very simple statement that God created Adam's body from the dust of the ground. And I want to ask... How is that simple statement that we've read who knows how many times, how is that already an affront uh, to the way that we, uh, many of us, understand ourselves in uh, uh, American Christian subculture? How is that an affront? Uh, how does that differ from how we see ourselves? We like to see ourselves as self-made people. Um, we built ourselves up. Mm -hmm. Didn't work ourselves. Yep. 
Anybody else? God made your body. I don't know anybody who's happy with their body when they're on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Valuable. Body's valuable. Yeah. Um, I think when I read that, the thing uh, that that I get brought to is that it's really popular for us to think, I think, especially in, in um, post-enlightenment uh, culture, we think of ourselves as, um, you know, disembodied spirits, um, where the only thing that really matters is your soul. That's the only thing that really matters, right? When we come down to like brass tacks, we're like, we want, we want to see Jesus save souls. Uh, and so we kind of neglect the things, the, the physical things, and we make this, this uh, division between uh, soul and body. Um, and I think that this was brought into sharp focus for me um, during a dark time. My friend Nathan, um, after being, you know, being my friend for years and being a good listener, um, uh, gently asked one day if I wanted to uh, start joining him in, in working out every day. And I said outwardly, okay, yeah, sure, that's great. Probably good for me. Uh, inwardly, it was sort of like I was scoffing, like, you know, d doesn't he know my darkness is an emotional problem? It's a spiritual problem. Like, why would he try to address the physical side of things? Um, and, and that's an interesting thought for me to have, uh, especially since I know that God created my body. Um, if all God cares about is our soul, then why does he even create Adam with a body to begin with? If what, if what is optimal is free-roaming spirits on the earth, why does he even give Adam a body? Um, and so I want us to see that since God created our bodies, and that was before the fall, and God saw that everything was good, our bodies are good, and God values them. Um, Secondly, I think we should also take note that God created our bodies uh, so that we could use them to experience our world. He created our bodies so that we could use them to experience our world. Um, verse 5, even before he creates Adam, um, it says that uh, um, it's kind of in the mind of God. It says there was, there was yet no man to work the ground. And so it was in God's mind to create a being that would have a physical body, uh, that would do physical work to the physical ground, right? So there's, uh, there's movement involved in that. There's hands in the dirt. There's, there's muscles uh, at work um, cultivating the land. Um, verse 9, he caused every tree to spring up from the ground, and those trees were what? Pleasant to the sight, and they were good for food. So God wanted Adam to find pleasure even just in looking at physical creation. And he wanted Adam to taste the yield of the trees, ingest uh, their, their fruit, and, and receive the benefits of this God-created food into his physical body. And even uh, down in verse 23 of, of chapter 2, after God creates Eve, <clears throat> how does Adam respond when God brings uh Eve to Adam. He, he doesn't say, finally, 
my soulmate. He says, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Right? There's a, there is a physical tie between Adam and Eve. It was noticeable to Adam. Uh, and it was important for God to even take uh, uh, the rib out of Adam and create Eve out of Adam's body. There's a physical tie there. So these physical things, they're, they're important to God. And there's a lot more we can say uh, about that. But we definitely need to acknowledge that even in creation, before the fall, God gave us bodies uh, with which we experience our world and each other and God. Um, and that's, that's important for us to remember um, because what that means in our battle against anxiety and depression is that we're not just brains on a stick that can think our way out of everything, right? Um, on the flip side, Genesis 3 rolls along, right? Um, we also need to understand that our bodies in this age are fallen. Um, in chapter 3 where Adam and Eve listen to the serpent and they forsake their creator, um, we see that their rebellion takes a toll on their bodies. Verse 7. Um, what is Adam and Eve's initial response to their sin? It's to hide their bodies. Uh, it's not a coincidence that this is their initial reaction. If, if the fall of mankind was only a spiritual uh, thing, why hide your body? Why would you need to, to feel like you need to escape with your, your physical self? Um, Verse 16, uh, you see the rebellion uh, means that physical hardship is meted out as, as this uh, uh, curse that God uh, puts upon creation. Um, God informs Eve that childbearing is going to be painful. She's going to acutely feel the, the results of her sin in her physical body. He says something similar to Adam. Um, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So Adam's going to sweat, um, he's going to work really hard, and the ground is not going to agree with him. It's going to produce thorns and thistles uh, at times. And, and it's just a downward spiral of, of physical brokenness from that point forward. Um, in fact, when you get to the New Testament, you see evidence of what has happened to people's bodies as a result of the fall way back in Genesis. Uh, and so many of the signs that Jesus is performing in the New Testament uh, are, are showing that as the curse lifter, he is uh, healing people's sorely broken bodies. Uh, and so there's people who have diseases, uh, open wounds, internal bleeding, seizures, blindness, deafness, lame appendages, mental incapacitations, uh, and so on, right? So at the fall, was only a spiritual issue and not a physical one, um, then why are these broken-bodied people uh, in the New Testament? Um, and why does Jesus care about healing their physical bodies? Um, and I bring all these things up because uh, we, we, need to be, um, we need to be okay with the fact that we can't just think and feel our way out of anxiety and depression. We interact with our world on a physical level there's a connectedness between body and soul um, that we've got to acknowledge and honor uh, as we try to locate Jesus in our experiences of anxiety and depression. Um, and the idea here is not that we can just eradicate anxiety and depression by paying attention to our, our bodies, um, but uh, uh, at the very least, we do want to make sure we're making uh, as many things as possible 
work in our favor instead of working against us. Um, you know, if, if the majority of the anguish that we feel uh, is inward, why would we compound the problem by not taking care of ourselves physically? Um, and so we're going to talk about physical helps today. Uh, much of these things, many of these things, they're, they're not going to be anything new. Uh, um, but uh, I do want to make sure you know that, that the things we're going to talk about, the points I'm going to cover, um, they're not in order of importance. And then the length of time that I spend on each of these also does not indicate their level of importance. Uh, some of these I'm going to fly through, others I'm going to slow down on. Um, but, uh, you know, due to time constraints, that's, that's what I have to do. I've got to figure out what I can trim. Um, but let's start with two of the most obvious ways uh, we, can, we can help ourselves, and that is um, diet and exercise. Uh, I'm going to fly through this one. Uh, not because it's not important, uh, but um, because so much has been written and said about this, and you can find way better resources on this than me. Um, but uh, it, we have to mention it. We have to. Um, so uh, regarding what you eat, um, Dr. Eva Selop, she's a Harvard Medical School um, uh, graduate, and I believe she's on staff there as well. She, she has a helpful explanation for, for how food comes into play. She says that your brain is always on. It takes care of your thoughts and movements, your breathing, your heartbeat, your senses. It works hard 24-7, even while you're asleep. This means that your brain requires a constant supply of fuel. That fuel comes from the foods you eat, and what's in that fuel makes all the difference. Put simply, what you eat directly affects the structure and function of your brain and ultimately your mood. This is okay for us to acknowledge, right? Um, she goes on to explain there, that there's actually an entirely new field of medicine called nutritional psychiatry. Uh, that's finding all kinds of consequences and correlations between uh, what you eat and how you feel. And so her point, if you read more of what she says, is in short, eat well. Eat, eat the right things and don't eat too much of them. Um, God has created good food for us to put into our bodies. Uh, but similar to Adam and Eve, we have this longing for uh, the food that actually brings death. And so if we glut ourselves on death food, it should be no surprise that you start feeling like death uh, as well. Um, as for exercise, similar story, uh, incredibly important. God, in his wisdom and grace, has built things into our body uh, called endorphins um, that are released by exercise. Um, so if we can... Um, challenge our muscles and elevate our heart rates uh, for you know a few times a week uh, hopefully increasing the number of times we do that every week um, then you are scientifically going to feel better because of these things being released into your body again not gonna solve all the problems um, I don't think you'll ever walk out of the gym and if you're in the midst of depression just feel right as rain again but uh, it is going to uh, contribute to, to mental health for you in that way. Um, so those couple things said, especially the, the note on exercise, 
I do want to acknowledge a problem uh, or, or something we need to, to talk about. When you're in the midst, specifically people maybe are dealing with uh, depression, when you're in the midst of that kind of darkness, um, what's your attitude toward exercise? Yeah. That, can you say that louder? You don't want to do it. <laughs> it's pretty simple. So someone tells you you should exercise, uh, but then um, you're kind of like, I don't want to. Uh, and in fact, if you remember last time I talked about a guy named Ian Thorpe, uh, um, an Olympic swimmer who deals with depression, and he was saying uh, when he's in the midst of that, it's all he can do to get to the kitchen and get a glass of water. Um, so how do we get past that into you know, not only getting a glass of water, but doing something active? Um, and I think what I want to say there is that this is a good opportunity for us to get rid of our ideas of self-sufficiency here. Um, and what I mean by that is ask a friend to help you. Just ask a friend to help you. Um, I, I had to have Nathan dig into me a little bit and ask me to come with him to work out. Uh, my mom, for um, a period of time when we were little, she was hypoglycemic and didn't know it uh, and was constantly crashing. Uh, so it was food-related, but she was depressed and uh, couldn't get out of bed. She needed my grandmother to come over to our house and force her to get up and take her walking with her to get out, uh, get out into the sunshine and get some exercise. Um, you know, if, if you know you need these things, uh, but you don't have the strength to build that habit, ask someone to help you. And, and this doesn't need to be anybody who knows anything about fitness and exercise. It just needs to be somebody who you know is faithful and, and who loves you and cares about you. So I would say get rid of self-sufficiency and ask for help. Um, I'm going to go into work next, but before we move on, any comments, thoughts? questions. Otherwise, I'm going to keep moving. All right, here we go. Work uh, is the next um, physical help I want to talk about. Um, not because it's easy, not because it's where we find our worth, um, not because it's our only hope in this life, your job, uh, or, or the accomplishments of your hands, um, but because of how God has designed it. Um, anybody? How, how should we see work as Christians? Just off the top of your head, Tom. Um, an opportunity to serve the Lord. Opportunity to serve the Lord? Okay, yeah, absolutely. What else? How do we see work as Christians? Mel? Part of the creation mandate. Yeah. God tells us to do it, so we have to. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, part, it's, it's part of being human. Yeah. 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 Anybody else? It's kind of a necessary blessing. Yeah. Kind of, you know, blessing and a curse. Yeah, it's cursed. Yeah, that's right. No, absolutely. Um, I think that uh, work, if we see it the right way, uh, can be helpful. Uh, which is why I said those things a moment ago about making sure we're not, you know, finding our hope there and our worth there. But I think, what if we see something as... Uh, work as something that God has designed, like Melvin was saying. Something that God has designed in which we're actually partnering with God <laughs> to cultivate good things on the earth. 
if that, if that is what work is, partnering with God in order to bring uh, uh, order and beauty to chaos, solutions to problems, um, in order to work for our sustenance and things like that, and we're partnering with him in all of that, uh, if that's the way that we see work, uh, how might that help us with anxiety and depression? Yes. I mean, it's like I'm just being told by God to do it. I mean, God is good. So when God tells us to do something, then it must be good. Therefore, it's working. Yeah. Yeah, Luther. Uh, a friend of mine once told me that she had been depressed for a long time. And then she started, and she would sleep in the morning, mm-hmm. many times. Then she started just making her bed every morning. Mm-hmm. And that kind of started her to put water in yeah. life. And it was a simple thing. Yeah. But it snowballed. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's actually a great qualification to make. Um, when we talk about work, um, doesn't have to start as something momentous, right? Um, making your bed, you're bringing order to chaos, partnering with God to, to, to do these things. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> the writer of Ecclesiastes uh, acknowledges these things, that there is uh, a bit of vanity in work, um, and yet, at the same time, uh, he says that seen in the right light, work can be something that is joy-giving, right? Ecclesiastes 3.22, he says, So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. That's his lot, right? This, in this age, um, even where work is cursed, uh, work is our lot, like Mel was saying. And, uh, and it can be a good thing if, we, if, that's, if that's something that we meet God in in order to cultivate good things on the earth. That goes for whether you're an accountant, uh, farmer, welder, what, whatever it is that you do, you can partner with God to bring uh, good things on the earth. Um, and I want to say that because I think it can be tempting to think that we only need rest or reflection uh, or meditation in our fight against anxiety and depression, but experientially, I can tell you that, that a good house project sometimes works more joy in my heart than if I were to just sit still all day long and be inside my head. Um, in fact, uh, I was reading through uh, some, some articles in uh, preparation for this class, and it, this study was comparing the results between two groups of people. Uh, both people were dealing with, both groups were dealing with depression. Uh, one group withdrew from work to try and recuperate and uh, uh, come out of their depression. Um, the other group uh, purposely continued with their work uh, even though they were depressed. And, and the differences were pretty dramatic. Um, you know, the, the structure of work, um, the social aspect of work, the accomplishments, watching yourself accomplish something, even like making the bed, right? Um, all those things contributed to the mental health of the people uh, in the group that, that continued going to work. So godly work is one of the tools in our tool belt. Um, so diet and exercise work, and then I want to spend um, a little bit more time <clears throat> talking about rest and pace and sleep, um, because these are things I've had to think a lot about uh, uh, and I've been confronted by over the past several years. Um, 
I think that uh, American culture, again, not not bashing American culture, we're all part of it. Um, and uh, um, huh? yeah. no, no, no. Um, not, not yes, not because I'm super patriotic. I just don't want to give off the uh, uh, sort of bitter, cynical vibe, right? Uh, but there are things we can identify about our culture that are problematic. Um, and I think one of those is that we idolize productivity and just doing something, doing things. Um, and generally, in that culture, we, uh, we don't think of ourselves as having limits to our energy, uh, to our abilities. Uh, we look at other people and we see their talents and their uh, ability to get things done and we think, I should be able to do those exact same things. Um, we don't see limits to the hours in our day. Uh, we don't see limits to our relational capacity. Uh, so for me and Beth and we, we changed absolutely nothing uh, about the pace of our life uh, between the time that we were young marrieds and no kids to the time that we had three kids, jobs, and a church plant that we were a part of. So we just kept adding things to our load, uh, even though life was, was changing all around us. And we felt a, a, you know totally guilty if we even thought about stopping on certain things or letting go of certain things. Um, and so it took a breakdown. It took anxiety and panic attacks and depression uh, to show me that, that we were actually operating uh, in ways that the Lord never meant for us to operate. Um, and so I had to humbly start making sure that, that I acknowledged my limits and, and lived life according to the, uh, the season that I was in. And so I've got a few questions uh, for you guys to think about. You can write them down if you want to. You can just sit there and, and think about them. But maybe something better for you to, to take home and think about when you have a little bit more time. Um, so it's three questions, um, and I'll, I'll work my way through each. So the first is, do you even acknowledge that you have limits? Do you even acknowledge that you have limits? Um, and I'm not, I'm not trying to ask dumb questions uh, or easy to answer questions. Um, I feel like we can answer this in two ways. We can answer it like it's on a quiz. And you're like, well, of course I have limits. Yes, I know this. I'm a human being. But I think that there's a functional way that you answer this that's harder uh, um, to sift through. Um, functionally speaking, if you get upset with yourself or feel guilty when you can't be two places at once, then you don't acknowledge that you have limits. right? Even though mentally you assent to, I have limits, you're upset with yourself. Why? You can't, you can't be everywhere. Um, if you uh, find yourself hitting a limit to your relational capacity, let's say you are, you are you know, somebody who's trying to follow the Lord in loving people, caring for them, maintaining contact with people, checking in on people, and as you get to know people, that group just kind of starts to grow and grow and grow. Uh, and somebody comes to you and says, hey, I really need somebody to disciple me. And you're kind of like, I'm, I are, I'm already doing this with 30 people. <laughs> like, how, how, do you, how do you say no without feeling guilty? I think if, if you feel guilt in that way, then you're not acknowledging your, your limits. 
Um, do you feel ashamed <laughs> when you come across something that you don't know? You don't know the answer to it. And you feel like, I should know this. But why do you feel like you should know it if there's a limit to your knowledge? If you're not God, isn't it okay for you not to know something? Um, what about something you can't fix? This, uh, uh, for me, primarily comes into play with people. Right? How, if there is somebody who's dealing with something that is a heart issue, and only God can transform them, why are you frustrated when you can't fix? I think that, that those are functional ways that we don't acknowledge that we have limits. Um, and so I want you to think about how our Savior obeyed the limits of his humanity. I don't think, we, we don't like to talk about this a lot because we want, you know, we want to recognize the power of Jesus. But when he was on earth, clothed in flesh, he obeyed the limits of his humanity. Uh, he slept, even when dangerous things were going on. He's, he's on a boat in a storm. Everybody else is freaking out. He's sleeping. Um, he made time for solitude and silence and prayer, even when the dire need for uh, uh, physical healings were uh, uh, being demanded of him. He, he knew how to say no when it was time to say no and get away and be alone with his father. Um, he sat down to eat when it was time to eat. Some of us, uh, uh, we work through meals and then we brag about it. <laughs> you know, like, I worked so hard I skipped lunch and dinner today. It's like, it's probably not good. Like, Jesus sat down and ate. Um, he even readily admitted the limits of his knowledge. Matthew 24, 36. Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Why are we allergic to living like our Savior lived? I think that limits... Um, are a good thing. We, we need to be able to acknowledge that we're designed with those limits. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's something to celebrate. Um, so that's the first question. Do you, have, do you even acknowledge that you have limits? Second question, does your pace of life match the season of life that you're in? Does your pace of life match the season of life that you're in? This is hard to quantify, I think. There's a lot of subjectivity here. You're going to have to use wisdom. Um, but it's still incredibly important for us to consider. So in general, does what you expect of yourself match where your life is at? Um, and these aren't man-made ideas either. Uh, wisdom literature in the Bible uh, accounts for seasons of life. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. There's a season for everything under the sun. Um, life is not flat and consistent. It is dynamic. It changes. Um, and God has plans for shaping you in each of those seasons. And so you've got to consider what God uh, is calling you to in that season and then be satisfied with the work that he places in front of you in that season. Um, so some of the, the questions I was thinking through that, that might help you identify the season of life that you're in... Um, have you added children to your family recently? Um, 
Has there been trauma in your family that needs to be dealt with? Uh, are you taking note of the um, time and emotional uh, a toll that your current commitments require of you before you add something else to, to your plate? Um, how many people are you trying to care for? Um, I, I think about this just especially as a family grows. <clears throat> um, I think I used to see uh, uh, ministry and care as um, I wanted, you know, I wanted to take care of my family. I valued that, but I felt like I think God only values it if I go outside my home and care for people. So it was like I never accounted for the the time um, that I had to start showing my kids. Like that necessarily detracts from uh, the time that I get to show other people outside my home. That's and that's got to be okay for us. Um, <clears throat> as an example, uh, or actually I had one more question. Um, there are seasons of life where I think we can acknowledge um, you're having to uh, run at least for a period of time at a, uh, a pace that's higher than normal. But even if we acknowledge that, I want to ask, do you have a plan for exiting that at some point? Um, because I think a lot of us can enter a season where we're like, all right, we're going to have to buckle down for this season. It's going to be hard. The, the days might be a little bit longer. But then we stay in that for the rest of our lives or for far too long, as opposed to saying, we need to enter into this and buckle down from this point to this point and make sure that we're exiting and getting rest. Um, even the Apostle Paul this, this guy who you see pouring his life out and, and encouraging us to do the same, pouring your life out for the sake of the gospel, went through different seasons of life where ministry, <clears throat> pouring himself out, looked completely different. Um, think about seasons of imprisonment. I mean, Paul's norm was traveling around and preaching in the open air and, thank you, preaching in the open air and um, uh, talking to lots of people, planting churches, but then he gets imprisoned and it's like, what does ministry look like now? Writing letters. It's, it's completely different. Um, so I think that, that we've got to acknowledge that. Um, and then the third question is, are you diligent in pursuing a day's worth of rest each week? A day's worth of rest. Um, literally the oldest idea in the book, Sabbath. Um, Sabbath rest. God is commanding his people. He is intent on his people <coughs> finding rest uh, in the here and now as a way to foreshadow the final rest that we're all going to have uh, in the new creation. And so if we ignore God's call to rest, um, it's making a statement. Anybody want to guess what that statement is? We ignore God's call to rest. Yeah, the, I think the statement is, I am God, I don't need rest. I think it's a, a, theologically it's a dangerous thing to do, but physically foolish, right? Um, the, uh, the fallout long term of not getting enough rest, not getting enough sleep especially, which for adults is seven to nine hours, just to remind you. Um, I love the further end of that, nine hours. 
Um, they're devastating effects if you don't do those things. High blood pressure, diabetes, heart attack, heart failure, stroke, obesity, depression. Right? So it pleases God when you rest. It pleases Him. So if you lay down to rest, there should be no guilt. If there is, then you know rest is not something that you actually appreciate. It's not, it's not something that you're obeying the Lord in. Um, and then the last thing... Um, Actually, there are two things. The last one I'll mention very briefly. Uh, nature and unplugging um, is the next one. So in the world of the scriptures, I don't know if you notice this when you read the Bible, but you can't get away from making connections between creation and the knowledge of God. You can't get away from it. it it's everywhere in the Bible. Um, and I have a number of passages here, but I think a summary of those, uh, Romans one twenty. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And then there's a host of other psalms and prophets and gospels where Jesus is making connections between God and nature, the prophets are, the psalmists are. But that's the world of the scriptures. In our world, uh, we go long periods of time where all we connect with is screens and concrete. And so that's tough. If, if part of what God means for us is, is to behold creation and make connections between what we see and the character of God, but all we're looking at is screens and concrete, it's going to be really difficult uh, for us to do that. Um, some things that took on new meaning for me as God slowed me down and taught me to unplug in the midst of panic and depression. Sunlight, these are very simple things. Sunlight, birds, and cicadas. Uh, never would have thought that would be a thing. But like, sunlight used to be a given. Um, and now, it, it's sort of this statement against the darkness of depression. Every time I see the sun, every time I feel warmth, um, I can remember being in dark periods and standing in the sunlight on our back deck and just being thankful for the feeling of warmth. Just being thankful for that. Uh, a reminder of God's faithfulness. The sun is rising every day, day after day. His mercies are new every morning. Um, my sabbatical uh, one summer it included a rediscovery that God created flying creatures just think about that for a second. Uh, we are locked down to the ground as humans, but there are flying creatures. And then they land on branches outside your window and they sing to you. That, that just became new again for me. Why, why does God include me on something beautiful? Why does God create? Why does God even give birds something beautiful to, to say? Um... And cicadas, this this is great. They they exist underground for years in a nymph stage, and then they emerge for five to six weeks above ground. That's it. And all they do for those five to six weeks is sing. That's all they do, and they answer each other in my backyard. Um, these are just s simple things that. Um, pointed me back to the abilities and the imagination of, of my creator. 
So is there space in your life uh, for getting away from screens and concrete and allowing nature to, to do its job? <clears throat> and the final one uh, I want to talk about, again, not in order of importance, but uh, doctors and meds. Um, topic that uh, I'm sure many of you have different convictions about, totally fine. I'm going to tell you my experience with them. Um, first, doctors. Um, even if your doctor, your primary care physician, is not a Christian, you should submit to their uh, knowledge and their care for you and tell them that these things are going on. They're not going to be able to address soul needs. They're not going to be able to reach inside your mind and change the way you think. Um, but they care for you, and they also have a good grasp. God has gifted certain people in, uh, in our world to understand the human body and the ways that it works. And we should be really thankful for that. So tell them that you're experiencing these things and just see what they say. Um, doesn't mean you have to like do everything they tell you to do after that, but you should consider their advice. Um, so humble yourself, even if your doctor's not a Christian, go ask for help. Um, and they may have medicine that could help you. Um, so, there are, uh, when I first went to the doctor and talked to him about this, um, there are other things he asked me first. A lot of these other things we're talking about. Are you exercising? How are you eating? So there was a lot of simple things that they gave me to do. Um, but uh, when I said, yes, I'm doing all those things, it's still hard. Um, he, he offered me two prescriptions. One of them, he told me, hey, this is more for panic attacks. It could be habit-forming. You need to be careful about that. The other one is not habit-forming, habit but it's something that builds up in your system over time. And so for me, I had to acknowledge, I walked out of the office and I threw away the habit-forming prescription. That doesn't mean you have to. I know that there are, um, you can be in a state of mind where you can do real harm to yourself unless you get on some kind, unless you take some kind of medicine to just stop your brain from overloading uh, but for me I was like at this point in time I don't want to be anywhere near anything that could be habit forming uh, but the other one I'm still on it now and all it does is make my thoughts a little bit less on fire um, I used to not be able to make sound decisions because I was so wrapped up in fear uh, and panic and you don't want to be making life decisions when you're panicking uh, they, you will do unreasonable things. Um, so all it's done, I have all the same anxious thoughts. I still have, you know, I've told you these things are still in my life. But I feel like it helps me be sober-minded to the point where I can bring things to the Lord and talk to Him about them. I can talk to other people about them without spinning out of control. Um, so meds, just... I would, I would just say, see what they say, see if it works, if there's no side effects, you know, it could be a huge blessing to, to you and to the people around you. Um, just be wary of addictions, be wary of your weaknesses, if you've got a history of that in your family, um, keep, that, keep that in mind. And then continue acknowledging that meds can only help to a certain extent. Uh, my doctor, the, uh, after he gave me the prescription, first thing he said was, 
um, uh, here's a prescription. Are you seeing a counselor of any sort? I said, yes. And he said, you need to continue doing that. So he was saying the, the way that these meds work best is if they're coupled with you know, soul care, uh, mental, mental health care. Um, so I still, I go to a counselor every, every so often now um, just to make sure I'm um, processing life well. Uh, not not falling off the, the face of the earth uh, with my thoughts. Um, yeah, so those are my thoughts on doctors and meds, and that is all we have time for. So I'm gonna I'm gonna cut it. I actually got to the end of the material. Uh, thank you guys. Let me pray for us and, and get into the service. Father, <clears throat> thank you for. Um, Ways that we can immediately help ourselves. Uh, we know that these are gifts from you. Even just thinking about the way you've built our bodies, uh, exercising, releasing endorphins so that we can at least feel a little bit better uh, and make decisions for ourselves more soundly. That's remarkable. It's a gracious gift uh, from you. Give us wisdom. As we think about these things, I pray for all of us that we would assess um, you know, our pace of life and are we pursuing rest and what sort of statements are we making by the ways that we don't take care of ourselves. Um, do good in us and pray it be to your glory. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, guys.